Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Today's guest is Peter Anthony. Peter is an author, television producer, and former image consultant for CBS News. Peter has appeared on radio shows and television shows both nationally and internationally. Peter's near-death experience provided unexplained mathematical equations while he was on the other side, and today we are going to find out more about that near-death experience. So, Peter, thank you so much for giving me a little bit of time today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. And what I'd like to say to you, Jeff, um, um, from one text into another since you're living there, um, actually, you're my first Texas interview, and I know you have an audience all over but I really appreciate this. And as I have traveled everywhere, but this is an honor for me to come in from, uh, to be a part of the show and, and be a Texan and, and doing a show for Texas. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. Well, thank you. And if I would have known this, I would have, I would have sent you a cowboy hat a week ago. So you'd be, <laughs> you'd be prepared for this. I would have. Thank mm-hmm. you so very much. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, let's jump right into it. My audience loves to hear about NDEs. So what happened in yours? Well, mine starts basically with the misdiagnosis in a doctor's office. At the time, I was working for CBS News Division and um, keeping a very busy schedule. I went in and they diagnosed me as having a stomach ulcer, giving me tagament. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was during the uh, actually the, the, towards the tail end of the AIDS epidemic. And I began to lose weight considerably uh, throughout the summer. I went in June 4th, 1987. And throughout the summer, I began to drop, you know, God, 10 pounds, 15 pounds. I'd gotten so thin and CBS being a very conservative news organization, I was stuffing my suits uh, with newspaper and Kleenex uh, and putting makeup on my face because I began to get these brown lesions on my face. Um, I didn't know at the time that I had tuberculosis. I didn't know at the time that I had Crohn's disease. They were mm. treating me for a stomach ulcer. So uh, taking responsibility for my part, I did not uh, go into the doctor's offices as I should have because I was traveling. Uh, and by the time I got into November, uh, we were wrapping up on a, on, a, uh, uh, on a tribute to one of our, one of our actresses on CBS uh, Morning Show. And uh, I went to a, a birthday party for myself where another person was throwing me a, a party. And I think it was somewhere between the cake and the booze. I just, I, I could feel uh, myself just going. And, uh, but I had been bleeding all throughout the summer and, and I just wasn't taking care of myself. Went into the bathroom and uh, the perfect storm took over. Uh, a friend rushed me to the hospital uh, I went home actually before we went to the hospital, changed out of my suit and tie and put on some thrift clothes, um, which is probably the worst thing to do. And when we got to the hospital, uh, they thought I was homeless and um, I had left all my information there at, at the at the at the condo. So the check in procedure was was really wrought with just so much anything that could have gone wrong did. So five, four, three to the to the punch here. 
Um, they wouldn't check me in because they thought I was homeless. I didn't have my, my insurance information with me. And if it hadn't been for a friend, you know, uh, just screaming and demanding that they check me in, I don't know that would have happened. I'm sure at that time, back during the late eighties, so many AIDS patients uh, were being left to die in the alleyways and, and the hallways, kind of similar to what's going on now. There was so much fear and and uh, pandemonium going on with that. And they just assumed that I was in the, had the AIDS with this, the tail end of the AIDS virus and I was dying and coming to the hospital and they didn't want to check me in. So um, I remember the nurse finally showed up and uh, was ruling me down towards ER uh, and he freaked out. Uh, he was suited up like I was radioactive mm. and he looked down at me and I could see his perspiration you know, on his, on his forehead, I couldn't see his eyes, just his forehead. And he pushed me into the hallway and <laughs> just kind of left me there. Wow. And, uh, so I, I don't know how long I was there. Um, it must've been eight thirty, nine o'clock at night. Uh, I was just bending over in pain. Didn't know I had a perforated viscous. I had basically had a, my, I guess the intestinal tract was erupting inside and I was bleeding internally as well as bleeding externally. Mm-hmm. So by the time they got me into the uh, into the ER, to the ER, I mean, I, I was a goner. I'd been bleeding all summer. I dropped down to, I think at that time, I was down to 110 pounds. And um, by the time I got into the ER, I mean, they didn't want to check me in. They didn't want me to go in the OR. Uh, if it hadn't been for a nurse, Nurse Betty Sullivan, I don't know what would have happened, but she made sure that I got into the OR. Um, by the time I got into the OR, uh, again, I had lost so much blood. Um, they couldn't keep the, uh, the IVs in my arms, um, and because they kept collapsing. And so I remember when I got into the, uh, I guess onto the operating table, um, I couldn't tell you what happened at that moment. I was kind of in and out of consciousness, but I began to see a rotating tunnel over a digital clock. And I remember him saying, you know, we got to, we need to get him hooked up to the IVs because, you know, he's, we're losing him. And so, I think they had me turn over on my side. And I guess, Jeff, at that time, it was like five, four, three, two, one. I remember seeing a snap and I could feel something attached to my solar plexus. And it almost like just attached itself. And I could see this rotating tunnel spinning around. And, but at the same time, Peter Anthony was hovering over Peter Anthony in physical form. And I could see myself looking down, you know, on the operating table and seeing them go to medical protocol. At the same time, uh, I guess the, I guess the spirit part of me or the, or the essence part of me was being, I guess, vacuumed in into this uh, into this tunnel. Uh, so at this time, I began to see familiar faces, um, and um, I I remember uh, looking at the clock. It was a big clock. I remember it was eleven eleven. And um, uh, it was just bizarre because this was November the 11th. I was in operating room number 11. Um, and I was clinically dead at 11-11 in operating room 11 on November the 11th. So when I began to spin through the tunnel, I think one of the most fascinating things, and so many of us who've gone through the, the, through the tunnels, we all have our stories to share. But I began to see mathematical equations, um, quantum physics. Now, I'm an artist or was an artist. And I mean, all these equations were foreign to me. But at the time, it was making sense. 
part of what I was seeing were the triple codes, 222-333-444-999-888. You know, again, looking back at it, that moment in time, uh, after I recovered from a near-earth experience, it didn't make sense. Then it did. But I also was seeing mathematical codes. And part of that, um, it was like I was being downloaded with information. Uh, the other thing was that the sound that I was experiencing was just beyond anything that I had experienced, especially being in the film industry. Uh, and the colors were just, uh, there were colors that I couldn't even explain, colors I'd never seen before. Mm. And so imagine going through this tunnel as you're spinning through and you're just going through this tunnel and mathematical equations are being downloaded into your consciousness. But the thing that I found most interesting, and many people have asked me about this, uh, was collective intelligence. Uh, I not only downloaded the mathematical equations, but in, imagine reading the Bible in less than three seconds and, and downloading it in your consciousness in spirit form and you getting every bit of it. The same thing happened with, you know, uh, you know, everything I was taught in school from zero to 60. So much information was coming into into my intelligence. I call it the collective intelligence. And I got every bit of it. So for me, it was a very looking back at it. Even to this day, when people come over, they see me. I'm I to this day, I cannot get enough information. I can read two or three newspapers and emails and working on a script and working on, a, on, on my uh, conclusion with the next book. Uh, listening to my headphones, listening to music, and I'm just constantly, it looks like I'm on some kind of drug, but I'm just all over the place. But it all makes sense to me. So to this day, because of that going the other side, I cannot get enough information. Um, as I went into my, um, I guess what we call the life review, I think for me, um, and like so many of us who've had the life review, when you go through this tunnel, the first thing, and it's an overriding theme for many of us who've had near-death experiences, you feel this sense of peace. Uh, you feel the sense of, of uh, calm. Uh, you feel the sense of love like you've never experienced love before. I kind of tell people, you know, imagine the love you have for your dog or your cat or your wife or your child and multiply that 10 times 1 million. The love that you feel during this 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 tunnel is it doesn't compare to anything that you experienced, you know, while you're here in this physical form. So that sense of peace and love and calm and, and stillness. And it's, it's not like you're questioning what you're doing and why you're seeing mathematical codes and, and why you're seeing these colors and these sounds that were, they're unexplainable. You're not going into logical, you know, understanding of what's happening as much as you're accepting. It's real important when you're going through this tunnel, you don't, you don't question it. You just accept it as though I'm having a conversation with you and we go to the next level of conversation and there it is. So when I got to my life review um, and so many of us who, who do have these life reviews are not many, you know, there are many who do not, but many of us do uh, again, your life goes zero to 60 and every minute of your life, which I think is very important. Everything that you do is based upon choice. Every moment you, you had in life from the time that you were even a child, uh, you know, the, the, as an adult, I think what, it, what, it, what I learned from all this in, in this particular time of my life is that there's no such thing as a victim. Excuse me. You know, you are the person that's made the choices. So when you've made those choices, you have to kind of fess up. You know, if you, have done something that you don't feel comfortable with. I think for me, 
haven't seen what I call the matrix on the other side, I'm very aware of that when I do something, an example like having a conversation while I mentioned to you I was hacked and dealing with American Express and uh, the different accounts. And some people are really great. Other people aren't. And you kind of lose that sense of patience and and you're having that kind of heated conversation when you're stressed out. And, and I, I go back to that moment. like, Okay, now this is not serving you. Uh, so, you know, get into your a state of, of, of centeredness and then get on to this conversation. So, as I said, so I'm well aware that every choice I make at this time in my life, living now, is based upon a choice. And that's what I learned on the other side. Um, so I think, as I said, for me, the most important thing that I could share with your audience is that everything you do, every relationship, every job that you have, um, every, you know, if you decide to go to school or not go to school, um, you know, to take that drink, if you're a drug addict and or, or, or an alcoholic or not, and, or that drug, that's entirely your choice. We are given a choice. And so I kind of come back with this theory of, you know, everything I do on this planet, not only is based upon my choice, but also is based upon what can I do today that makes my day better. So getting to the other side in my life review, zero to 60, as I mentioned before, um, I saw my, my life from, from the time I was born, uh, you know, in, in the hospital, and I saw myself die in the hospital at 11, 11 p.m. on November the 11th. Everything that we do, every moment, uh, you know, the conversations, the people that you've forgotten about, Going to a park and sitting there and reading a book, seeing that part of your life that, you know, that you've just completely forgotten about, those relationships that you had. Uh, I remember seeing a young boy that I played with. His name was David. I didn't know. I had completely forgotten, but there he was, my third grade teacher. I mean, everything was just was my movie. And when you understand that it's your movie and that you are the star in this movie and everything around you is basically the extras, you know, sometimes the guest stars, sometimes the, the co-stars, and sometimes the main star. This is all a part of the, I think, the equation of our life. And uh, I got a chance to see it. And so, as I said, I saw some things that I that I must say that, you know, I've said so many times on these, on these interviews. It's not that I murdered somebody. It's not that I robbed a bank. But I did get a chance to see some things, what I call human error, where I didn't shine. And I saw myself where I could have done things a little bit better. So for me, that was real important. All right. I have a lot of questions. I want to, I can pick apart and ask all kinds of things about your NDE. So are you ready? Yes. First thing I find is interesting is you keep seeing all these repeated numbers. I recently did a podcast with somebody who said that repeating numbers have to do with angels, especially because she would, she yes. She was charging something. She said it was $11.11. And I said, well, why? what's up with 11.11? And she said, well, those are numbers of angels. And you said, you, you 11, 11, 11 for you. And then you keep seeing these repeated numbers, 222, 888, and stuff like that. So while you were in your NDE, did you see any angels? I write about this in my book, Key Master. When I got into my life review, I was greeted by um, – by what I refer to as an ascended master. You know, many people said that I was uh, speaking to Jesus Christ. I can't say that I did because it's not like he said, hey, I'm Jesus, and how are you doing, Peter? Mm -hmm. So there never was an introduction that I'm Jesus. And also, when you're having this conversation with this ascended master, um, you're communicating telepathically. And the other thing that makes it most interesting, you're not in physical form. Mm -hmm. So this is consciousness 
to consciousness, having conversations. The same thing when I was spinning through the tunnel, seeing these 11s and the 8s and the 2s and the, all the triple codes. And as I said, quantum physics and getting it, you know, so uh, back to angels. So when I was sitting on this branch and uh, looking at my my stratosphere of my life review um, over here to the side um, was this male energy who I refer to as an angel. Okay. Uh, now, I want to back up. I was agnostic, mm-hmm. uh, was a former Catholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, my whole world was based upon you live, you work, you make money, you get married, you have kids, you get the house, the picket fence, the car. You know, that's your life. Um, so I really wasn't into anything spiritual or metaphysical. Um, and so for me, coming in as a doubting Thomas and having this conversation with an ascended master, and the only reason why I say ascended master is I don't know what else to call it. Mm-hmm. But whoever it was was an advanced being mm-hmm. and was communicating with me and, and allowing me to see, uh, again, my life review. And uh, the reason why I say angel is because throughout my lifetime, after my near-death experience, I've had encounters with Nordic angels. Nordic angels are the the tall, you know, six foot eight, mm-hmm. blonde, blue eyed or white hair, blue eyed uh, angels. And when you're having these encounters, everything kind of comes to a pause in your life. And, you know, it took me a while to understand that you're having these conversations with these with these. I call them, again, advanced beings, uh, usually at critical times in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, points of not, I shouldn't go to, uh, to New York on September the 11th, uh, on Tuesday, um, you know, having this conversation in Tulum, uh, with this ascended master or angel, um, you know, uh, almost drowning in Laguna, um, you know, and having this conversation with someone else. So they were always, it seems like for warnings and these angels would show up and, and would, I would, you know, not that they said you can't do this, but it seemed like the moment of time. You know, again, going back to that choice, if I gone in and one minute later or one minute earlier, there again, I would have had, you know, another death. Mm-hmm. So I call these exit points. And these exit points that I were experiencing were uh, were being guided by angels. So, yes, I, you know, looking back at all this, uh, even having this experience on the other side with an ascended master who I call my angel. Uh, I'm, you know, people ask me, do you believe in God now? I do. Do you believe in angels? I do. Mm-hmm. Um but not in the sense that everyone else believes in. I believe in a very, uh, if the God that I experienced on this side and, and the angels that I've experienced uh, in this particular physical realm, everything is based upon energy. Right. I, know, just like an example, like you walk into a room and you just sense before you even have a conversation with someone, I shouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. And there's an energy in the room that kind of is persuading you to leave. So that's how I've had these moments of aha of just everything based upon energy. So you learn, as I have, uh, you kind of trust that inner voice and let it guide you to wherever you need to be. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're not making the right choice. And for me, sometimes these angels would come in and say, mm, maybe not now. Mm-hmm. You know, my whole my view of life and death is really simple. We have a, a start date and we have an expiration date. Mm-hmm. Everything in between is what you do with your life. Right. All right. You said something there and I can't let this go by. Two things. One, I'll let you answer all this. One is I want to know how do you actually communicate with angels? But more importantly, I thought you said an angel told you don't go to New York on 9-11. 
Is that true? Did I catch that right? It's not that he said, don't go to New York. He said, I think there are other areas in your life that need more attention. It's always this very rhythmic conversation uh, that you have. You know, many people, an example, I, I, here's a good, uh, I was in Mexico um, uh, in Cancun walking across the street with there with friends. We were you know, having a good time on a Sunday afternoon, wasn't paying attention. I crossed the street and everything slowed down and there was this bus approaching and this hand reached out and grabbed me and pulled me back. And everything went into this, again, I call it pause mode, like, you know, like slow motion, you know, on your, on your video camera. And I looked around once again, was this, you know, white haired, blue eyed, tall, uh, this time it was a woman walking past and turned around and smiled at me. But I could hear her saying in my mind, it's not your time. So, um, you know, so I, I've been guided by these moments. And I think for me, as far as the, going back, how you communicate with your aunt, how, you're, how you communicate with your angels. Uh, for me, I go to the mountains. Uh, I go into hospitals. I go into libraries. I go to beaches. Uh, there's a thing called the Thin Veil. And the Thin Veil is where land meets water. Uh, where land meets sky. And if you do it early in the morning or late in the evening at sunrise or sunset, and if you're in an altered state, meaning you're in a place of peace and gratitude, not asking for money, not asking for rent, not asking for food, not asking for the job or whatever, you're just there to give you know grace to all the great things that have happened in your life. Once you get into that state of, of gratefulness or what I call complete gratitude, and not in all cases, but sometimes they show up. And sometimes you're sitting there having a conversation uh, with this, you know, angel and you don't realize this angel until they pass because everything just kind of. The only thing that to me that I can look back at are those piercing blue eyes that you experience mm-hmm. and that presence of peace, which I experienced on the other side when I was going through the tunnel Uh and everything, as I said, just kind of goes into pause mode and you get into that complete centered, that centeredness of nothing matters more than this conversation that I'm having with this person. And again, you're not saying to yourself, this is an angel and he's talking to me and I need to pay attention as much as you're in the conversation and listening and understanding. I, I don't know if that explains it any better, but it doesn't make sense to you until time's goes back to normal. They walk away. Sometimes they kind of disappear into the horizon. Sometimes they just vanish into the alleyway. Um, And you know, you just know that uh, whatever you want to call it, you know that you've had an encounter with something Mm -hmm. that's beyond your, your, your understanding. Mm -hmm. And I, I think for me, gosh, there've been so many, and as I said, there have been so many times in life that I should have checked out. I've had, you know, falling off a mountain, head-on car collision, um, you know, shark attacks, all these things that have happened to me. And always at that right moment that, that you know, I guess that angel just showed up at the right moment in my life. And as I said, in Mexico, it's not your time. Mm-hmm. So I pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so for those who are seeking your angels, for me, I start my day at 11:11. I go to the mountains. I go to a park. I go to a fish pond, and I just sit there, and uh, and just have a conversation with, you know, whoever happens to be around there. I don't go out seeking. I just go out and just enjoy. And I had something happen to me this past 
the last six months of shutdown. I didn't realize until after I went on a, a, a podcast in Australia and that this woman I'd been speaking with for six months turned out to be an angel. Wow. She said she was homeless and um, I don't like to watch the news. Um, and so while I was doing setups and doing chin-ups at the, at the park, she would talk to me and we just had this very simple conversation and I was, she was had a little radio and she was reading newspapers and stuff. And she'd talk to me about what was going on currently with politics. I said, Oh, her name was Barbara. I said, Oh, Barbara, I don't want to listen to all that. I don't like the negativity. I said, but I am having going on the, on a zoom interview here for all around the, for the next six months. So I need to kind of get up on my, on my news. Right. So she, for six months, every day at the park where I worked out, she always showed up. She had a little radio on and she read me the LA times up and post political, uh, I mean, she wrote things down and she would have this conversation with me about current events. So when I went on these different radio shows, I used Barbara's information that she'd given me. And then my last day at the park, um, again, this is interesting. Um, I'd seen her for six months and, and the last day she wasn't in her, her, her space of peace and calm. She, know, oh, I'm having some problems here. What's wrong, Barbara? She, oh, my best friend here is, um, is not doing well. And I've got to go to the shelter and take care of her. I said, shelter. And I said, well, what do you mean shelter? I said, well, the homeless shelter. And I was like, really? Never in my mind, never in my mind did I even think about that this woman was, was homeless. Hmm. I mean, she didn't look homeless. She didn't dress homeless. She never asked for money. Um, and that's where she was going. She said, well, yeah, I have to go down the shelter and that's where we're going to stay tonight. And I'm taking care of her and she's not in a, in a great space right now. And I was like, but what she said to me, and this is interesting, Jeff, thank you so much for talking to me for this last six months. You're the first person here at this park that has taken the, the opportunity to speak to me. She said, you know, we're here on this planet to be kind, to be loving and to give a helping hand. And you've done that. And thank you so much. And she walked away and I've gone to that park and it's been cold here. It's been raining, you know, every day I've ever seen her. Hmm. But I remember when she was walking away, we go back to that moment of, of calm and go back to that moment where everything was in a pause, pause mode. And as she's walking away, she turned around and looked at me and she just waved and, and said, goodbye. I got on my bike and I rode off and I came back and she was gone. And I said to myself, he went on an interview with uh, in, in, uh, in New Zealand. I said, you know, her name was Kirstie. I said, Kirstie, I just know. I said, I just know I was talking to an angel. But I know it had to be because she's not been around. She never asked for money. But she had those piercing blue eyes and that white, white hair mm. and that whole sense of calm. And she would sit next to me and talk and read. And, and again, you know, many people don't believe, you know, that it was an angel. But, you know, I think it's a rather personal thing. And you know, in your own mind that something, if she wasn't an angel, she certainly was an earth angel, but you know, for me, it was fascinating. And the reason why I bring this up and go back to my near death experience, we go back to choice, you know, our lady on the park bench talking to me, you know, most people go, Oh, she's a whack job. Don't bother. Don't take the time and bother talking to this lady. I mean, many people would do that may not have the conversation the next time or she's at the park bench. I'm going to go over here and exercise. And, and, but no, something that little voice inside said to me, spend time with this woman and talk to her. 
And so my homework assignment from the universe, from the Ascended Masters, from God, if you will, was to spend time with this woman for six months and for her to talk to me about the news events that were going on, on the planet. And she became my source of information. So my homework assignment was go on these on these different radio podcast interviews, talk about politics by not watching the news, but having my own little talking head. And the universe provided that for me. So I took the choice to be a part of that equation. So again, it goes back to, I could have said no, and who knows what would have happened. But I know in my heart, in my mind, she had to be something that was divine. I know in my heart that she was. Um, that, to me, that's a fantastic story. But you want to know something that's interesting? I remember when I got back to my condo, it was 11-11. I looked at, the, at my clock on my, on, my, uh, on my microwave. I thought, oh, my God, I looked at the clocks in my house. It was 11-11. I thought, thank you. It was just a sign. So for those who are seeing the triple codes, the 222, the 333, uh, the 999, the 888, these are times in your life that you're being called upon to kind of check in and see where you are in life and to slow down. Uh, it's not about the job, not about the, the relation, not about the, the bad boss, not about the kids that are all, you know, uh, all cranky. It's about your time just, just to slow down for a moment and just give thanks for all the great things that are in your life at that moment. The more you do that, the more in tune you become with all the great things around you, the more you receive. And I, that's all I do every day at 11, 11, I, I basically make it a point to get out no matter what the weather is and go out, whether it's on my bike or, or a walk. And I just, they call me Peter, the meter greeter. So I go out and I'm, I want, especially during this shutdown, I want everyone to feel a sense of peace, a sense of normalcy. And, uh, and the only way I could do that was to walk around and say, Hey, how are you doing? Have a great day. Played my part, you know, on a very small part, but you never know. Now you said that you downloaded the Bible while you were on your NDE. Oh, right? that was just one example. Oh, uh, well, the reason I'm asking that is because, and since you made a reference to the Bible, did you see anything in your NDE that would be considered biblical? Okay, so your audience is, is either going to thumbs up this or thumbs down. Well, that's okay. Um, yeah. I'm going to say this delicately, and here goes. I was born and raised Catholic. Um, you know, the first commandment was thou help guilt for the rest of your life. Um, everything that I was taught as a Catholic, I have to say, was not correct. I'd have to say of, of maybe part of it was correct, but how we were taught, you know, about God and, and, and Jesus and uh, Mary and, and, you know, and all the saints. And, you know, I think these are stories, these are parables, these are prose um, that were given to us as examples for us to live by. I'm not doubting the teachings of Jesus, the Christman or Buddha or the avatar or the native American Indians. I think these are all are great stories and there are guiding points and rules for us to follow by. But for me, I think my greatest awakening was um, we have it about 10% right. And that includes all religion. It's a very simple formula you learn on the other side. Love, kindness, and unity. That's where it all begins. We're here to give a helping hand. We're here to be love. We're here loving beings on this planet to help people. And I think anything past that or beyond that, where there's greed or there's corruption or there's anger or there's uh, selfishness or there's, um, you know, jealousy, uh, anything that is not 
coming from that essence of love and kindness and, and giving a uh, helping hand is the opposite of what I saw on the other side. So for me, an example, I'm a big animal advocate. Uh, I go around rescuing um, animals out of kill shelters. So it's hard for me coming back from the other side when you come back with all this love, uh, um, I guess, a part of your new, new age diet. And so when someone does something cruel to a dog or to a cat or to a horse uh, or someone does something cruel to a child, my mind can't go there. My mind goes towards love, kindness, uh, helping. And so, as I said, so if we're not, I think we'd come down to greed or gratitude. Uh, you come from a place of, of faith or fear. Uh, you come from a place of, of hate or love. It's kind of that simple. And I think for me, I, if it doesn't feel right in my heart, and, I, and we all get that aha. We know we're doing something we shouldn't be doing. An example, when I was talking to, on, when I got hacked, I was talking to a representative and this lady I was speaking to could care less about what happened to me. She was short. She was curt. And we're, our energies were, she was very irritated with me because I was being so patient and kind. And, and we were just, our energy was like all in water. We just weren't connecting. And I found myself going down that path of her energy. And I said, like, just give me a second here. I had to disconnect from her and take a deep breath. And I thought, I don't want to go into that drama. I don't want to be into that, that, that moment of just anger towards this lady because she obviously didn't like her job. And, um, but anyway, the point being is that I think we're, we all have those moments. And what I've learned on the other side, it's those moments when we're talking to CBS uh, or, the, or the, uh, the, the cashier agent or the, uh, uh, or the agent on the telephone, American Express, or, uh, or the gas attendant. You know, to me, those are those areas or in traffic at rush hour traffic in L.A., if you're not coming from a place of kindness and patience and understanding uh, during a five o'clock rush hour traffic, then you're not connected to a place of peace. So I think for me, it's real important that I try to stay as centered as possible. Uh, do, am I there every day? No. But if I get off the beaten path, I know how to go back to that place of peace. And so I think we're tested all the time, day in, day out. Uh, you know, again, with these, I guess these um, challenges that, uh, that we're being, you know, forced to deal with. And it's not about them and, and our conversation as much as how are you acting today, Peter? And then there are other times when things just flow, you know? So I, I like to live in a, in a life of flow. And for me, if things don't move effortlessly, then it's not a part of my pie. Hmm. Did you Does ever, that make sense? Yeah. It's kind of common that I see in, in my podcast that when people come back from their NDEs, they have a feeling of homesick, a feeling of loneliness, like they wanted to go back. Did you have any of that? Absolutely. You don't relate to the world that you come back to. That's it. Because you get a chance to see the real you. You get a chance to see the real planet. I mean, I can't tell you what I saw on the other side in terms of the destruction as, as, as we are a very angry planet, uh, the way we treat our, our environment, the way we treat animals, the way we treat each other. And so you get a chance, you know, almost like you're the, the person in the auditorium watching all this, meaning planet Earth and what we're doing. I mean, I could see pharmaceutical companies, you know, curing disease, but creating drugs that created three more diseases for the name of profit. You know, I could see one of those things I saw was, it was horrible. What men, 
were doing to to the horses in the Everglades. You know, they were tired. They wanted to take care of the horses. So they'd run them off to the Everglades and, and let the horses be eaten by the alligators. Mm-hmm. So when you're on the other side and experiencing this, what I, I can speak for myself was this is not a part of the plan of God. It's a very simple operation here. Love, kindness, compassion, again, unity. That's it. You can read the Bible. You can read the Quran. You can read anything you want. The, the Tibetan uh, Ten Commandments. Uh, you can read uh, uh, the Native American parables. Whatever it is that you want to read, it's a very simple formula. It's it's just that's it. It's man that has complicated it. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. You know, all for the what? The name of greed, corruption, mm-hmm. and that's kind of like to me. This whole 2020 was a wake up call for so many of us because we got a chance to slow down do our inventory, you know, I think for a lot of us, it's like, you know, what's, what really matters? You know, what really is important in my life right now? Cause so much was taken away for me. I go back to my near earth experience was because what was taken away from me uh, were my legs. You know, when I came back in um, recovery because of the medications, I had complications from everything that give me from the, from the morphine to the, the high doses of prednisone. I lost my eyesight. I was in a wheelchair for a year uh, I was I was at 89 pounds for almost a year and a half. Um, I was kind of like the elephant man. So for me, I get up at 11:11 every day, and I'm somewhere outside of my condo in the mountains at a park, uh, at a fish pond. Because for me, the most important thing is I can see and I can walk. I still have problems walking, and sometimes if I drive to LA back and forth, and uh, I can be in the car for three or four hours. I can't get out of my car. My legs freeze up on me. I'm in so much pain. So I have to sit around and I have to basically force myself out of the car. And then sometimes my vision will come in and out. But you know what? I can see and I can walk. And when, when I'm having a great day, you know, with my legs and my eyes, I'm grateful. It's simple. You know, I think about this. I can see the mountains. I can see the sky. I can see the water. I can touch the fish. It's simple. And we spend so much time wanting the money and wanting the prestige and wanting the degrees. And those are great. All those external things that are, you know, that we think make us happy. I want peace. Mm-hmm. Going back to your original question about loneliness, we don't fit in because we come back with a whole new set of values. And most of our values don't coordinate with what we see around the planet. So we kind of find people that kind of listen to us. My times in the hospital were and, and, and two years of recovery. And actually, I, I mentioned earlier about uh, Texas. Um, my most difficult times were living in Texas, having a near-earth experience, because I'm kind of a country boy. And my whole life was simple back then. And so coming back with complications of well, medical complications and coming back and not stuttering anymore, and talking about what I saw on the other side and having a conversation with God and talking about angels uh, and then talking about a near-death experience back in the 80s and 90s and 2000, people didn't want to hear it. So um, I was so anxious to talk about it. I went everywhere. I, rabbis, priests, ministers, I, psychiatrists, there wasn't a person I didn't seek out just to find the answers. And I began to go to the libraries and just start reading and discovering um, I didn't know I had a near-earth experience until someone mentioned it to me that I had a near-earth experience because she said I had a near-earth experience and I can see an aura all around you. And she knew when I had died and I listened to her. So that gave me a lead for research, which led me to ions, which led me to uh, 
of doing so many different lectures, writing a book. You know, if we if we really are flowing with our life and get into a place of just let the universe drive and you get in the passenger seat and just enjoy the ride, let them do their job. You know, think about the planets and Mother Nature and the animal kingdom. Everything is in harmony. We are not. And we're the ones who tend to shovel it all in the, in the wrong area. We're the ones who destroy. We're the ones who are angry. We're the ones who want more. And that's not coming from a place of, of love and kindness and being in a harmonious state of mind. So I think that you're going back to, for me, I, I look for people who live a very simple life. And that, to me, means the world to me. So I spend a lot of time talking to homeless people, uh, immigrants, orphans, um, those who are less fortunate, um, because those are the ones to me that really are the angels of this planet, the earth angels of this planet. That's where I spend my time because they want nothing from me. You know, they just, they want an ear. They want a conversation Mm -hmm. and I'm willing to talk sometimes just spend my time listening to their stories. And it's just amazing. It, it really has taught me how to be humble. You know, when so much is taken away, people, you know, I said, they just want a simple life as well. They just want to be at peace and be able to have money and be able to pay their rent and be able to be listened to and be able to have love in their life and relationships. It's very simple. We're all looking for that, but we're always looking out there for something when it's actually right here. Due to your experience, what are your thoughts on um, life like do you believe in reincarnation or oh absolutely okay and so we got that so what do you think is the point of our lives what is the point of all this reincarnation what are we doing well you know so i kind of look at it this way so i believe in the theory of reincarnation because when i was on the other side i got a chance to see my past lives hmm. i didn't believe in reincarnation before never even thought about reincarnation uh it, it just didn't matter to me um, and then when I saw my past lives, I thought, oh, my God. Uh, an example, I, 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 in the 1500s, I was a writer and I, I was an alcoholic. I spent more time in the bottle and drinking it and, and destroying my life than completing my, my life as a writer. And this happened to me twice. So it's funny. In this lifetime, I don't drink. I have no desire for any alcohol, but I have the desire to write. So going back to the theory of reincarnation, we are provided an opportunity to complete something that we did not do in another lifetime or lifetimes ago. Uh, so for me, um, you know, um, I think that's very important that we find out. I, I do past life regressions. I'm, you know, I'm just fascinated by that. But for me, I think believing in the theory of reincarnation, absolutely, without a doubt. When you see it and you know it and you feel it. Uh, and then, of course, living in California, I mean, <laughs> there's so many people here who are into this mindset. So it gives you the chance to to have other conversations with people who believe in this. Well, I think my time in Texas, it was a very rigid, conservative kind of one dogma of thinking. And it wasn't corresponding with what I saw on the other side. So um, and I, I'm, don't get me wrong. I, I love Texas and I, I think the people are great. But I needed to open my mind up and to discover a lot more. And California provided that for me mm. to be with other people who thought like me. All right, after speaking to a couple indie ears, they have kind of mentioned to me that there are things about their NDE that they never tell anybody. 
Is there anything, yeah, we don't. Is there anything that you, something that you've had during your NDE you've never shared with anybody that you're willing to share? And if you're not willing to share, it's okay. I um, still love you. So No, I mean, I, it's a very, it's almost like, <laughs> here I go back to my, to my Catholic upbringing. <laughs> um, it's like going to confession. And you're having that one-on-one powwow with your priest, and you're you're just sharing, you know, your I call them human errors of things that you've done, and 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 then he has this uh, you know passage of words that allows you to heal within, um, and it's only for you. Um, I can tell you, yeah, I mean, I think for, for for many of us, you have to find the right ears to share it with, because oftentimes I think people. Here's a good example. Just doing an interview with you being from Texas, and I said, I've traveled all around the world. I've been speaking since 2011 and have done so many different radio shows and TV shows. I learned that you only give enough information to those ears that are willing to listen and not judge. Because oftentimes when you're talking about, here a good example, near-death experience, paranormal investigator. Well, those two things you know, side by side are enough to, hi, honey, I'm going to the, to the cemetery tonight. We're working on a, on a, on a, on a case there, or hi, honey, I'm going to, to work on a, on an unsolved murder case here. See you in a couple of days. I mean, those type of relationships are not kind of being the doorstep to be with you. So it puts you into a place of, of, of alone. Uh, I don't want to say isolation. I enjoy my peace and my time, but I think going back to your original question, are there things that have happened to me on the side that I keep private? Absolutely. Um, I would share it with someone else who's had a near-death experience, and I have. Um, There's a lady in San Diego. Her near-death experience was quite similar to mine. The mathematical codes, uh, she got a chance to see the future of the planet, where we were going, like I did. Um, She also downloaded uh, quantum physics and uh, what we call the angel codes. Um, like me, she saw, you know, where we're going from 2020 to 2030. And so I think with her, yes, the only only problem that, that she has is her husband is a deacon at the Baptist church. And she has to sneak a phone call to talk to me uh, because her family, her parents, her husband, her children, they don't believe her. Um, and so I'm her saving grace. And so, you know, I get a call from her and I talk to her and we will spend hours on the phone. And it's kind of weird because it's as though even though she's at home and kind of sheltered and doing nothing, I'm out on the on the on the road talking. Um, she brings me back to uh, she's my ground zero. She makes me appreciate what I did ex- experience on the other side, because it makes me feel good to know that someone else like me saw the codes, you know, saw the prophecies, saw the past lives. Um you know, saw collective consciousness. Um, also, like me, had a, a life review in a stratosphere. Uh, like me, she was in space looking down at Mother Earth and was seeing the planet. And like me, had a zoom lens that could go from country to country to city to uh, to community to a uh, small town with a zoom lens and see where uh, where we as a collective consciousness weren't shining. And so we've talked about these things and um, and it's so funny because we, every time we talk, she kind of brings up something that happened to her near the experience. Oh my God, it happened to me too. And then we, uh, you know, talk about, so it's, it's quite fascinating, you know? Mm. Um, 
And, but for me, it gives me a sense of being, as I said, being grounded to know that when you've had an near-death experience, and I don't know if people would share this with you, but I will, you do doubt yourself because you hear from so many different people who say to you that didn't happen. Um, and what's I, what I find interesting, the medical community doubted me for so many years. And out of nowhere, uh, someone from the John Hopkins Medical uh, Institute saw me on a YouTube video and contacted me. And they asked me, you know, to submit a proposal about my near-death experience. Um, it took them many, 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 many months before they accepted it. And I wrote it. And I, I guess I'm the first non-medical person who wrote something for the John Hopkins Medical Journal about a near-death experience. I mean, think about that. Mm-hmm. 40 years ago, I wasn't welcomed by the medical community. And now they're reaching out to me and yet again to write another article. So I think things have come full circle. And I think why near-death experiences are so important, Jeff, right now is I think we're at a time on this planet where we're going to go one or two ways. We're either going to ascend, we're going to you know evolve, or we're going to descend and revolt. So, um, uh, and you can kind of see where we were this past year. We were, especially here in America, so close, so close to really losing our country. And so I think what's interesting, think about all the people that showed up. Think about, we didn't know. We didn't know what was going to happen. And then you look about January the 6th. Watching all this, I think for me, I didn't know anything about the 14th Amendment or the 25th Amendment, the Amelian Act, the Hatch Act. Who cared? But it brought me back to learning about our country, our Constitution, and its values. We the people. And that's what's important. We the people on this planet really can make a difference. But we've got to do some serious homework here. Because, I mean, once again, we could easily go down the wrong track. And I think our angels basically think about this. On January the 6th, how did all this happen? I mean, everyone broke in and it just seemed like God's energy or the angels or what do you want to call it, just guided them down the corridors away from, from the, uh, from the resurrect, I mean, from the, uh, from the rioters. It just one wrong turn, one wrong moment, the whole country just could have been in another direction. So something very divine to me took over. And we have been given a chance to really think about values and think about our country and think about our relationships. And the reason why I bring this up, because that's what I learned on the other side. You know, what's important, Peter? What matters, Peter? How can you be of service, Peter? These are the things that mean the most to me. So as I said, so I keep it simple. I keep it real. I find people that I can identify with, even if it's just, you know, talking to my uh, ND, uh, you know, twin in San Diego and talking to her once in a while. It just brings me back to a basic principle of being grounded and being alive and being of service. All right. I'm going to shift gears on you here. Sure. You do a lot of stuff. So do you have any projects that you're working on right now that you want us to know about? Oh, gosh, yes. Um, You know, I... Once again, I've been, you know, um, Johns Hopkins has reached out to me again to write an article about racism. Hmm. Now, think about that. Wow. Um, you know, I'm completing my, my second book, The Asinal Prophet, which is the sequel to my book, Keymaster. 
Uh, for those who want to reach out to me, uh, my website is www.theaccidentalprofit.com. Um, I've got a lot of radio interviews coming up. I hopefully, if uh, if we get the COVID under control, uh, I'm back on airplane and I'll be back on my my European book tour. So I'll be going to Denmark, uh, UK, uh, uh, Australia, Canada. Um, and these are all pending. And then I have an IANS conference, um, a conference, I believe, in September that I've submitted a proposal uh, to. And what else? Um, I can't think of anything right now. I've got, oh, uh, uh, what's coming up? And oh, uh, uh, I, I, I can't even think right now. I've got, it's all in my office. But anyway, um, but quite a bit, you know, quite a bit of radio interviews and, and, uh, um, and travel. I really look forward to, to traveling again and getting on an airplane and, and speaking to, uh, to my crowds. That's important to me, especially the kids that show up. All right. Your book, The Key Master, can you get it at all the usual places like Amazon, Google? Books? Amazon, Barnes & Noble, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, the other book that I, uh, I uh, wrote a short story on is called Miracle Dogs, yeah. uh, Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Uh, the Accidental Prophet, the sequel to Key Master, will be out this summer. Uh, and then I'm, you know, this is the whole part of the, the European uh, tour. And this book in particular is about my uh, my world as a paranormal investigator, traveling around the world, solving crimes, uh, unsolved, you know, paranormal cases, uh, forgotten cases, uh, taking to cemeteries and and golf courses and haunted caves. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting book. I really look forward to, uh, to completing this book and getting it out. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I'd like to get you back when you release that book, and we can talk about that. Yeah, I mean, as I think I mentioned to you earlier, you know, before we went on air, um, my near-death experience uh, allowed me to see mathematical codes. Mm -hmm. So when I came back, we didn't have Google, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, late 80s and 90s. So I spent my time in the libraries. I mean, here I was, 89 pounds, and people were making fun of me. I looked like the elephant man. I was like this skinny little guy with a staph infection on my face. So I would hide, you know, with my hoodie and go into the library and read. Um, And then I got a phone call. Um, uh, uh, a homicide detective had contacted me and um, wanted me to work on a case that involved numerology, uh, triple codes, and um, the the supposed victim uh, um, that uh, was shot uh, was a special effects makeup artist, and I was studying, you know, obviously become a special effects makeup artist. So, I think it goes back to that that what I said earlier. You know, do your homework, and when it's your moment to step up to the plate. The universe will call you. And that one phone call, I showed up on this case. I didn't know what I was doing. I never worked with homicide detectives before. I never worked on a crime scene, but I knew numbers. I knew that I had a name. I knew I had the name of the first responding officer. I knew I had the name of the man that died. So I could take his birthday. I could take his time of death. I could take the name of the first responding officer. Um, and I could just use math. I could take the, the name of the address. Everything was math to me. And so that's how I learned to solve cases was by using numerology. Mm, and wow. so this book, The Excellent Prophet, takes you on a road of how I use mathematical equations to work on, on paranormal cases. Wow. I would love to that. I mean, we don't have time today, obviously, but I would love to hear how you break down all that math and how you come up with these equations to solve that. It would be really interesting. Well, one thing I'd like to say, and so many people who've had near-earth experiences, we come back changed. Mm. Um, I used to stutter. 
I had a speech impediment. When I was nervous, uh, and I think you might hear it tonight, I get a little excited and, and talk, and I don't make sense, so I have to really slow down. But I, I had a speech impediment for many, many years, and so when I came back, I didn't stutter. Uh, so when I came back, all I wanted to do was talk. Hmm. And what was so sad is no one wanted to listen to me. <laughs> so, so I, as I said, so for me, not only did I learn to speak, but I came back with this zest for life, and I used math and enjoy it. I hated it when I was in school. And now I've, I've started ancient numerology. I mean, stuff that goes thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, ancient astrology, and I can't get enough. Mm-hmm. So as I said, so, you know, you look at the time of the death and where the, the planets were positioned at that time. Uh, again, you look at the birthdays, you know, everything is math. Everything is sound. Everything is math. You know, and, uh, you know, it's just how we communicate. Mm-hmm. Everything breaks down, breaks down to what we hear and what we see. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that actually even math would be the one language that if, you know, if we came across aliens or whatever, math would be the one unifying language across the universe. Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. And, you know, that's an example when I was working on cases, you know, I'd show up and I was at 1600 something something street and I'm looking at my watch. It's 1111. And I'm working on a uh, on an example when I was working on a, uh, a, a case in, in Gettysburg. And I'm looking at the dress and I'm seeing 1111 on my watch. Uh, you know, it's like you know, kind of like this deja vu of going back into that tunnel. I always knew that I was working on something pretty profound when I would show up. And you look at the address and 16 is obviously numerology means something and 1111 means something. And you're working on a case. And an example, just you look at when the president and the vice president were sworn in. And I always look at everything from, from a mathematical perspective, what time they were sworn in, what time they start, what time he signs the papers, what, you know, everything. I look at everything from the perspective of math because it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. One and one equals two. It does not equal 34. Mm-hmm. And so once you understand that there is an equation that is simple uh, and everything is based upon mathematical equations, then everything to me is easy from that point on. Have you ever seen the diagram made by Tesla with the numbers one through zero? And how well, you know, his favorite number was three, three, three. Well, I don't know if it was three, 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 but from what I read and I saw this video about it, I thought everything comes down to three, six, nine. But if you ever see it, it somewhere. does. We call that three, 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 three. Yeah. But maybe it's a different well, way the three, of saying six, nine. Well, the 369 is creative concord in numerology. Three is self-expression. Six is humanity. You know, nine is being of service. Mm. You know, so then you break all that down. So three is ruled by Gemini and how we communicate. And it's about downloading information. Six is the teachers, the doctors, the nurses, you know, the politicians to be of service. It's also the veterinarian. It's the animal, uh, animal kingdom. It's the planet. You know, and nine basically is the brotherhood of mankind. So uh, those are very ancient numbers, the 369, and they're an extremely – when I see those numbers, I, I pay attention. There's a little bit different twist to this, and I won't go in all that, but I'll just, use, I'll just tell you sure. about the 369 part is that whenever you double 3, 6, or 9, it always comes back to 2, 3, 6, or 9. For example, 3 and 3 is 6. 6 and 6 is 12, which is 1 and 2 is 3. 6, 6, and 6 is 18, which 1 and 8 is 9. And if you just keep going through that pattern, doubling, it always is three, six, and nine. 
Well, the same thing happens with with the number nine. You know, one and eight is nine. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, nine and nine is 18. One and eight is nine. Everything comes back to nine. Nine is the divine. It always circles around. And that's what's interesting because if you – if you look at at where we are right now, when when we had uh, Hillary and and Trump running in 2015 and 2016, we were in a nine pinnacle, an 18-9. And if Hillary had had, had won uh, the non, she would have been impeached. There was impeachment no matter who the president was. Hmm. Nine always returns to itself. But nine is also our greatest teacher. And so we're ending that nine cycle and now we're going into the age of Aquarius for the next 10 years. And that happens on Valentine's Day. Seven planets are going to be in the house of Aquarius, which means unity, all ethnicities. Uh, it, it's all about uh, music. Uh, the last time we had this, not in this uh, equivalence, but close to it, was in 1965, where the age of Aquarius basically was just born. And the reason why people... So, well, how do you know that? Well, in 1963 and 64, we had LB Johnson, uh, yeah, Johnson, and we had the end of the Camelot era. And Doris Day and Rock Hudson were the number one, uh, had the number one movie in America at the time. Doris Day had the number one song of the time. Uh, The Singing Nung had the, the number one song as well. And in 1965, Cher and Janis Joplin jumped onto the scene. Motown, you know, the Bee Gees, um, uh, the Beatles. In a matter of a year and a half, we went from from the Camelot years to everything that was just so extreme to the other side. The pendulum always swings, and we are swinging to a very unusual time for the next ten years. Mm. So, I think for me, one of the most important things that we're going to face here is depression. How many people are going to come out of this, and where are they going to be here? you know, where are they going to be in their heart area? So, you know, so things are going to shift for so many of us. And there are a lot of people, I think, who are not going to do as well as they should. And there's going to be a lot of endings going on. So, um, and a lot of new beginnings. But in order to be on the right side of history, you have to go to an Aquarius way of thinking, freedom. That's what Aquarius is all about. You know, the age of Aquarius is all about freedom. Giving the other person the freedom to choose as they, as they see fit to their own consciousness. And that's where we're going. We've come from that from that I am presence, that me, myself, and I career, and now we're going to a we consciousness. And that's how it's going to work for all of us for the most part. And if you can't get into the we consciousness, you're not going to make it. We'll have to save that for next time and talking about your prophecies. Sure, uh, sure, sure. Yeah. Before we go, can you give our guest one last message? Yeah. I learned on the other side that as long as I have breath, I'm here to contribute to this planet. You know, so for me, I, I live by a very simple mantra, provide the people, the places, and the situations. And my job is to show up, not in fear, but in faith. And, you know, think about the universe. You know, I, I go back to what I said earlier. I did stop trying to navigate let God or the universe or your angels navigate you. Allow them to do their job and sit in that passenger seat and just enjoy the ride and participate and enjoy. You know, think about when you're on a, you know, someone else is driving, you're on a, on a road trip and you're just looking out the window. There is nothing greater than that. Well, that's the same thing. Let God drive this time. 
you know, and just you'll get to where you're supposed to go and just allow it, you know, just allow life to, to, to give you the very best. Sometimes we don't choose the best outcomes for ourselves. So I think the best thing I can advise to all of you, go inside, find that peace and then make your decision. When you're at peace, you make the best choices. Thank you. That was a great message. Seriously. All right, yeah. Peter. Well, I really appreciate you giving me some of your time today. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I wish Sorry you, I zigzag, but no, I, you know, I, I have a lot of my mind. That's okay. Yeah. I mean, there's no really exact format on how this is supposed to turn out anyways. But again, I want to say thank you, and I wish you massive success with your books and anything else that you're into. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right, my thank friend. Thank you, Jeff. Have a great night. Thank you. Bye-bye.